In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast we are here with an incredible guest today the one and only karina cunha and she is the founder and ceo of satori she's also no stranger to startups with an incredible background in education as well as investment banking and other things um karina how are you doing today and i, I was gonna give you more of an introduction but i just want to jump into the to the to the actual interview because you have such an interesting life how are you today? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. The pleasure is all mine. You have started up an incredible company, but before we get there, I was wondering if you would be so kind to share a little bit of your background of the circuitous route you've taken to psychedelics. Like you started in Colombia and then you moved on from there. Can you share some of that story? Yeah, um, and just to also make people aware, it's Columbia University, not Columbia, the country. Right. <laughs> well <laughs> like done. People do ask that, and then I guess I'm, I do work with drugs, so there is an association. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually am originally from Brazil, so yeah, that, that also fits. Uh, like, <laughs> but um, I graduated from Columbia when I was uh, 20 years old, so I actually finished the degree early with a major in economics and political science. And that's because I had had so much trauma growing up that I wanted to be financially independent from my parents as soon as possible. So whenever I made choices in my career, it was to get that financial security. And um, but then that actually didn't make me happy because when you're not being true to yourself, it's going to catch up with you. So when I was uh, 24, no, 23, I left New York. I was actually man working at a management consultant after investment banking at the time. And I went to the University of Edinburgh to do a postgraduate degree in the psychology of different um, individual differences, which is basically what... Um, What's his name? Jordan Peterson talks about. Um, and I really wanted to understand my mom's personality disorders, mm -hmm. what had happened to me. And that maybe made me so fascinated with psychology. So then for the following years, I started, I was working very much on 
um, how the decision of decisions. So I actually have a consultancy company called Meta Strategy, which is like how behaviors are changed and why people do what they do. And so uh, with that, I uh, became the managing director of Crimson Education in Europe. And then we grew the company to a multi-million dollar P&L. Um, in a couple of years, they are now a unicorn. That was super fun. I, I really love um, the founder there. Um, and then at that point in time, I was reaching like, a, I, I had, I was 29 and I was like, oh my God, I haven't achieved the things that I wanted to achieve in life. So I created a company called Nosy um, and it was very ego driven because I wanted to create the next accessory for fashion. And I was very concerned about air pollution in London and I was Three months before COVID, I started having like flashes of people wearing face masks all around the tube. That was November, like December 2019. And so um, I left the company, I left Crimson and then I started Nosy. Um, and it was crazy because three months later, COVID happened and people just thought I was really, really stupid for creating something for your nose, uh, not for your mouth. Um, but at the same time, we had amazing PR and that taught me a lot about how to grow a brand. Um, and with the regulatory requirements that was necessary for us to make a product now in the era after COVID, it just became too costly to actually keep on going with it. And then I was yeah doing consulting, strategy consulting, and I was working with Founders Intelligence, a really interesting company as well, that they help bridge the gap in technology between startups and corporates. And um, their sister company is Founders Factory. So Founders Factory had announced a partnership with Woven Science to launch one psychedelic company that year in their incubation program. And so I just like literally jumped on it. Um, I think I was on Founders Intelligence for like a total of three months before giving my notice uh, because I was just super passionate. And it's crazy because I never thought I could actually speak openly about psychedelics. And they have been so instrumental in my life for the last eight years that I have helped, you know, hundreds of people in my personal life. And then being able to be public about it, it was, you know, coming out of a closet in a way. <laughs> that is uh, it's there's so much there and i i'm curious for eight years like you've had a relationship with psychedelics for about eight years did you find that you had to do some work on yourself before you could help other people with them oh totally yes oh yeah <laughs> like that's actually one of the reasons why i am not as optimistic about the psychedelic industry as i was when i started because we initially launched Satori as a marketplace for psychedelic retreats and integration therapists. And I, as I started to speak with a number of people in the industry and learn about various retreats, I realized the level of spiritual narcissism that's mm. in the industry, uh, so much bypassing as well. And um, I changed the way that we operate a company to do almost like a psychedelic concierge. And I'm um, partnering with um, a retreat center in Oregon because that is going to launch in Oregon around the fall um, because I do not trust a lot of practitioners and facilitators to have their integrity within themselves to actually lead clients and not put on their baggage onto them. Um, we have a number of retreats that we really like, but um, I would say that that model of, you know, just sending people to a place without understanding mm. 
understanding what is actually happening, understanding who are going to be the facilitators is something that I'm no longer comfortable with. Yeah, it seems interesting to me to provide like the consignere service where like what do you what goes into you deciding to partner with a particular retreat? Yeah, so last year we did an outreach to um, a number of retreats and pretty much like most like 99% of them said, said yes, um, only like one or two didn't want to pay a commission structure to us. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was actually like speaking to the people in the team, understanding their model um, and then seeing what the, our customers liked. And one of the challenges that I'm seeing also in the industry is that a lot of times people are offering really long retreats and people don't have the time to take. So we actually divided, you know, clients into categories because you have these people that are a bit older in age, which are like, I call them retreat masters. And they <laughs> have they have a lot of money because they are already successful. They tend to be older and they are ready. They are going to be going to these retreats and taking that time of like one to two weeks. But the people that I'm really trying to help are potentially newbies in the psychedelic and they are a lot younger. They have less disposable income. So a number of the retreats that are out there and more famous, they tend to be too expensive for people and not provide that shortened guidance as well because sometimes people just want you know a trip sitter they don't want that entire yoga food experience yeah so you're able to to match someone's personality with the with something that's compatible for what they is this something like i would sit down and be like here's what i'm here's the problems i'm kind of dealing with Here's what I'm looking for. And then you can help them find something that kind of matches exactly what it is they're looking for. Yeah. And I would say that the reason, like, and exactly what they are looking for, because if they are like, yeah, I want to be doing psychedelics in my apartment in New York, you know, like, yeah, we cannot legally do that. Um, but the... Um, it's more about that we have a one-to-one -one meeting with people understand where they are at, understand their experiences, and share with them some of the options that may be available for them in their budget. I think that uh, some misconceptions that people have is that they expect this to cost the same thing as a hotel. Hmm. And they don't realize that, you know, you actually have to pay for a facilitator and, you know, the entire structure around a company on top of just the stay um, you know, like on an Airbnb, let's put it that way. And so I think that there is some education around costs as well that you need to give to people. It's interesting to me. I, I was listening to some of your interviews pr prior to this one, and it seems like it seems for me anyway, like I have a I have a problem with like the corporate world. So that's like my own bias, you know, like I, I just don't love being treated like as a, I'm a number instead of a human. Mm. And it's that seems to be something that for whatever reason, maybe it's profit driven or maybe it's ego driven or you know, maybe that's just the way in which the structure of our society is built. It's kind of sad, but do you ever fear that maybe that sort of corporate model is seeping into the world of psychedelics? And or is that inevitable if that, for that to happen? It totally is. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, if you actually look at the companies that get funded in the space, they are drug development companies. And mm -hmm. when you think about classical psychedelics, they're great. You know, like I have some 
I have some friends that are making a synthetic ayahuasca that is a that you know could be revolutionary, and I, I think that there is room for you to make that because ayahuasca um, there is so much variability and the purging and things like that can make it so challenging. Mm. Um, but classical psychedelics can really do the job, yeah. like wow. And so people that are trying to change the molecules to just get a patent, right? I mean, that's that's a commercial structure. It's not because you actually right. really need to be improving the the quality of LSD, you know. <laughs> and oftentimes, I find that these new uh, chemicals um, are not great. Like, if you actually compare some of these, the new research chemicals that you can even find on, you know, like a black market, they yeah. are a lot worse than the real deal. Yeah, a lot of the times when we begin to try and impersonate something, it's just that it's an imposter. And like mm -hmm. all imposters, when you take the mask off, it seems to have a sinister undertone to it, you know, but it's, it's interesting to think about because on some level, we need, we need the industries to come in and help out with clinical trials and regulations on some level. And then on other levels, we don't want it to be tainted. It's just, it's interesting to be at the forefront right now and see this sort of reemergence of this this marriage between pharma and classical psychedelics it's it's interesting yeah i think to think about what you've spoken about your affinity for do you have a do you have a particular type i know that in some of your posts you were talking that you had had some really great experiences with lsd is that something that you prefer that over other psychedelics or yeah um Let's put it this way. I find that every okay. psychedelic, every psychedelic has a place in my heart. Uh, like they, you know, it's. I, I don't have kids, but you know, like it's. I but in a sense, there is just one that you get along that works really well for you. Yeah. Um. So, let me talk about the others Please. before I go into. Assets. Yeah. I really like mushrooms in the fact that it has helped me connect with my feelings. So because of trauma, um, I was completely desensitized to how I felt. I actually would sometimes spend a couple of weeks without realizing that the person was not nice to me. And then I would have to have a friend tell me and then because I wouldn't have an emotional reaction to it. So last year when I started um, Satori, I, you know, like I could do psychedelics with a lot more frequency because it was sort of, I knew I needed to research, like um, market research. And so I was, um, yeah, doing mushrooms like one, one gram or so every weekend uh, to check in with myself to see how yeah. I felt about the week. Um, and that was really incredible in helping me have a shortened reaction to how um, how I felt uh, and actually be able to align my feelings. And so now for the first time in my life, I'm able to have, you know, people are not nice to me. I, I react spontaneously, like instantly. Um, I can choose to react, but I, at least I have the feelings. But that was something that had been super repressed in me. Um, so I'm very grateful. I also don't drink alcohol. So um, chances are, <laughs> if there is an event, mushrooms could be an alternative. Um, but, and then let's see, I find ketamine is also super interesting. I, I think that combining it with other psychedelics, mm. especially mushrooms and LSD can be fascinating. I'm not a cannabis person because I have really bad um, anxiety, but I have heard pretty great things about combining the two. Um, and 
I, I do think that it's also important to say that the quality of the ketamine, unless you get medical yeah. grade in the US, it's terrible, terrible. Um, I have had really, really bad experiences uh, that I embarrassed myself expecting it to be the same quality that you would get in Europe. And the American one, it wasn't, you know, like you, you have something, you go into a K-hole and it's not mm. a ketamine because you're actually on a research chemical because that is completely so the quality in america of substances has been pretty terrible um and then let's see um ayahuasca i mean it cured my extinction crisis um when i was younger i really was afraid of dying and i wanted to see what happened after you die and i have taken pretty large doses of ayahuasca and it showed me everything and i felt like super connected to source that said, I'm not as big of a fan of ayahuasca as a lot of the people in the psychedelic world because, again, the variability of the brew. I would say that half mm. of ayahuasca experiences have had good brews, bad brews. Um, and so sometimes if the brew is not done correctly, you may not see anything. Um, then there is that shamanic culture that is involved, which can also... Uh, impact so much of your experience and I find that depending on the culture I really like the Yonawa in Brazil uh, mm -hmm. but the Shipibo culture can be a lot of work you know like it's very heavy so unless you have very a lot of trauma that you're trying to deal with you know like or or something like a substance addiction it may not be the best thing for you to do if you're just starting your journey with psychedelics and I think that also when I see the quality of the ayahuasca, it doesn't travel as well as, you know, like some of the more, let's say, pharmaceuticals, psychedelics. Um, and so the, I also find that the quality outside of South America can be quite not as great. Um, and so I think that ayahuasca tends, when I analyze it, it's a great experience, yes, but there is a lot of negatives as well, you know, especially from health risks, because if you're throwing up a lot and you... Mm have low blood sugar levels then potential drug interactions um so while the experience can be transformational i don't necessarily think that everyone that is the best path for you to get to that transformative state and i do believe that you can achieve pretty similar experiences in very large doses of mushrooms or lsd um then uh yeah dmt is also another one that is quite interesting to me um, I mean, <laughs> we're just blessed off into a different dimension. <laughs> 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 um, I actually volunteered to get intravenous DMT mm. uh, with the Imperial College Research Study, um, but I was moving to LA and so I wasn't able to mm. be part of the study. So, I, I mean, it's fascinating. I do think that it has l fewer therapeutic effects than ayahuasca because you're blasted off into a different dimension. So how much information you're able to retain is very small. And then also having a foot in one dimension and a foot in yourself, which you're able to do as ayahuasca, allows you to bring back the issues that you want to explore. Whereas with DMT, you're just like... <laughs> Cosmic hyperspace, multidimensional, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah. 5-MeO um, DMT, I only did it once, and I feel that it wasn't a large enough dose for me to have a complete opinion, but I just felt that I was being hugged by the universe mm -hmm. like, in some ball of love. Then LSD. <laughs> <laughs>
LSD, yeah, um, I love it because I feel that my brain is connected to a supercomputer. And if you actually look at the brain scans, um, your brain is never more active than on LSD. Every part of it is talking to each other. And um, at the same time, different mushrooms is not as emotional. So hmm. you're able to be approaching a lot of very diff challenging situations without having the emotional load. If I have a bad mindset and I go into mushrooms, I can actually have an experience that almost feels like an MDMA calm down. But if I have a bad mindset, I'm dealing with a problem in LSD, I'm not going to have that pain. I'm going to just see the problem so clearly from so many directions and actually be able to align my actions and thoughts um, towards it. I um, so, And then if you actually look at studies, it's the one that produces the most neuroplasticity. And then, you know, like for me, when I was younger and I was really struggling, in bad relationships and um i didn't i i and was meaning in my life you know when i was in corporate i if i did a weekend i would just do a large dose of lsd in my room <laughs> all dark <laughs> i would be thinking about the nature of reality and i came up with these theories that about time quantum mechanics mm. That now people are just writing research articles, and I'm like, fuckers, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> diagram wrong. <laughs> and obviously, I cannot put the time to prove them, but um, yeah, a lot of these metaphysical ideas as well, I came, became completely true and logical to me under that state. And then you realize that if you're going on the peak of, so the peak of the um, LSD experience, if you do a high doses, you cannot really do much and you're just an observer, but as you're coming down from the peak, um, it feels that you're really at a level that is very connected to source. And each step that you, each hour, you're coming down almost like the staircase of whatever source connects. <laughs> um, and then as you come down, you are able to bring back more of your human experiences into, into that. And so as each hour post peak, uh, comes you're able to deal with different levels of problems you know so the first hour is like super spiritual problem existential and then like some personal problems and then work problems so you have I like the length of time as well because it's longer than mushrooms that then you're actually able to access a lot of different things mm -hmm. um, and process more because with mushrooms or ayahuasca you have much smaller trips which means that you need to choose what's what problem am I de dealing with tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas with LSD, you have different different layers. That is really well said. I admire the way in which you explained it. I, I um, man, it makes me think. It almost seems like you can thoroughly understand the higher functioning of of neuroplasticity the way you explain like coming down a staircase and like you're talking about higher order you have spiritual and then physical and emotional it's interesting it's almost like you can see or feel the different parts of the brain lighting up when you're in those different stages I, it's fascinating to me do you think yeah. that i'm sorry uh, i wanted to say that one more thing that happens yeah. to me, but it doesn't happen to everyone on lsd that i freaking love is that i can see music but a lot of people mm. talk about synesthesia which is the colors but I actually have another level of synesthesia, which I see the um, 
the notes of music on the mm. air, depending on the dose that I take. So like if you play Sweet Child of Mine on mm. high doses of LSD, you can actually see the guitar riffs in the air. And I'm like, if the, if you don't understand what neuroplasticity is, and if you don't, cannot, you can literally see how your brain is connected and how different parts are interacting with each other, which for me is phenomenal. You know, like I, you can see your brain functioning basically. Yeah, I think you can see you can see concepts, but more than that, you can, it, it leads me to this idea that you don't really learn anything, but knowledge is revealed to you. And I think in certain states, like you, whether it's you writing about, you know, some sort of futuristic function of time or the nature of time or, you know, some sort of mechanics or something like that, I, I think that you can actually have information revealed to you. And if you go back and you read the Homeric verses or you go back and you read literature or understand some of these ancient sort of texts, like I think they're explaining the same thing. They're explaining that knowledge is revealed to you. And it seems to me in some ways, the way we're teaching people today, like you go to school to learn from somebody else, but that's just someone else's experience. I think taking, you know, responsibly taking or exploring different states of awareness or different states of consciousness really allow you to learn the lessons of life. What, what do you think about that? Totally. Um, I mean, are we even learning, right? Uh, because good question. In, if you depending on like, if you want to go metaphysical or if you want to go scientific, you can make the argument that the brain is just a receptor of information. Right. And, um, no, I had a bit of a spiritual awakening as well, um, which I I was in very much like, you know, I believe that the, there that there is that quantum entanglement and your brain is um, a receptor of information. And then um, I had a I met my twin flame, which I didn't I hated that concept. And then once I like I actually met a person that I um once I looked into his eyes, I started remembering past lives with him. And then I was like, what the fuck? Um, like, and that completely took my ground away for uh, a few months because I never had um, access to that. So I did explore the nature of consciousness from the meta level, but I hadn't had those very spiritual experiences in the sense of um, being connected to the soul, you know, like I stayed in the more analytical side of it. Um, and when that came, I started um, following a lot of the work of like of people, for example, like Dolores Cannon, uh, like Abraham Hicks, trying to understand a little bit of like how your consciousness is uh, manifested. And when you actually think about it, we are just all um, almost loading a video game, <laughs> like whenever we are interacting, anything that is not in our your awareness pretty much doesn't exist for you. Um, and we are just co-manifesting our reality. Um, Daniel Pinchback, which is a friend, mm. like a really good um, article on that. Um, and the, um, yeah, so I think that when you actually say, is information revealed to us or do we actually learn? I feel that you need to break down, you know, your higher self, which mm. knows everything all the time. And then the human experience, which um, if you follow Dolores Cannon's work, then you have basically created a contract to 
place certain experiences as a human for your soul to learn. Um, and in that sense, you know, it's it just becomes a nomenclature type of thing where it's like, is you is you like making the cognitive leaps in a biological brain uh, something that you have created yourself or is the fact that that's being allowed to you something that your higher self is allowing to come to you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we could have an entire hour talking about this. But yeah. Yeah, it's mind-blowing to me. I, I, I spend a lot of time in different states of consciousness and I, I really enjoy... I really enjoy being alone and, and thinking about different things like that. Of course, I love my family and relationships and it just, it speaks to the bigger picture of what we are as much as who we are. Like I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that. We are everyone. Like you don't really come into this world. You kind of come out of it. And when you do that, I think you begin to see like a paradigm shift and maybe that's what psychedelics do for some people and maybe different psychedelics do it in different ways. But I'm curious to get your opinion. Do you think that, what we're going through right now is a giant shift in societal consciousness or societal awareness, maybe. Yes. Um, and have you been following the like five dimension new earth movement? No, I haven't. I'm going to write it down. What is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's also something that after I, I had that like past life remembrance, I was mm -hmm. like, what, the F and then I started doing <laughs> this. Um, so Diana Cooper has really good work on this. Um, so it's this theory that the earth is a living organism mm. and the earth has been living, functioning on 3D reality for um, for a number of years, etc. And that now the earth is evolving to become a five dimensional, to evolve to a five dimensional state. And uh, fourth dimension is time. So, you know, like whatever is above time. Yeah. Um, and that these higher awarenesses and spiritual awakenings that is happening at more frequency for us all um, is people actually waking up to the, you know, veil of lost, yeah. like veil of amnesia that we have mm. as a human existence. And then when you start looking at Diana Cooper's work and then, uh, Dolores Cannon, they approached the same topic from different angles. And the series that both of these have um, is that apparently the Earth is a school and there are a bunch of planets that are schools in the, in the system. And we are one of the few, I think we are the only planet where you don't actually remember your connection to source um, and that you have to find it within your life, which makes it the toughest school in the entire universe. Um, and then there is a lot of stuff about aliens as well, which, again, when I started reading about that, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. But, um, but then it started, you know, like, you start seeing that if you actually investigate it, it feels somewhat true in your heart. You cannot really pinpoint it. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, like, what's to say that it doesn't, that something like this cannot exist, existing dimensions higher than ours? Um, because I always love to think about humans as, um, as the analogy of, like, that big elephant, you know, like, where if you have a blind person and they are touching the tail. Right, different parts of them. Yeah, so when I was younger, the reason why I decided to initially go to psychology 
is that I was having really bad existential crisis at the time. And I always, when I was younger, I thought about um, getting a degree in quantum physics. Um, and I really wanted to understand the nature of reality. And But I figured out that if I have a 3D brain, I'm not going to be able to fully understand something at higher dimensions than me because I'm just not going to have access to the tools that are required to understand something bigger than me. So then when I went to psychology, it was that I wanted the best that I could do was understand the functions, understand my experience of the reality. So if at least I understood how humans are approaching reality, then it would allow me to have a more complete picture. And I don't know, like there is quite a lot there and some yeah. of this stuff is uh, going to be very woohoo for people. And I do take everything with a grain of salt. But, <laughs> you know, like it makes, I rather read one of these things that reads like a fantasy novel than hear about Trump on the news or something. Like. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that's, it's garbage. Let yeah. me ask you this one. So in the world of psychedelics, there's been for quite some time this idea of ego death or ego dissolution. But might it be a better way to describe it as alternative ego functioning? Like maybe that's what's happening. If we talk about awakening or we talk about, you know, emerging as a different type of being, doesn't it make more sense that like nothing's really dying in your brain, but the function of your brain is changing? I think that fits into your model of from 3D to 5D. And, and why, why wouldn't it be like that? If we have the prefrontal cortex, it's like the newest part and it's changing shapes and there's all these dendritic spines moving back and forth. Why, why wouldn't the ego be transforming from something that only sees us into evolving into something that sees everybody? Doesn't it make more sense to, this is just me kind of being wishful thinking, but doesn't it make more sense that it's not ego death, but it's alternative ego functioning? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I almost would like to split that into two points. Yeah, please. Um, because when I hear about ego death is... Um, you know, like if you experience that in ketamine, high doses of mushrooms, acid, etc., is basically your human ego taking not existing. So then you are just connecting to a higher self. And so I and I think that the first time that you experience that and you are able to realize that you exist beyond your personality, your thoughts, your body. Um, is quite transformational, and I do hear, I do, I do think that the ego dust is fitting for to describe that experience. The what I'm hearing from you is um, the transformative nature, which is not an experience; it's actually a process. Mm. Um, so I would say that what you're saying is just more the evolution after you have experienced ego dust. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's interesting to think about experience versus process. Can you talk to? Can you speak more about like, what do you think is the difference between a psychedelic experience and the process that happens after a psychedelic experience? Yeah, I think that the the experience can just take blinders off your eyes, and it really depends on you know the what people bring into the container mm. I, like as you can see i'm a very analytical person so my mind goes like yeah to like every, every direction but there are some people that are tend to be just more 
I, mean, I actually notice a relationship with personality types and different mm. uh, psychedelic experiences. So people that are, tend to be primarily sensors, they oftentimes look more towards things in the past in their psychedelic experience, and they often um, will be analyzing situations and things to a much greater degree and not go as much into the theories. Um, and they sometimes can have more somatic experiences as well. Mm. And like these are the things that I experience in my body at a time and really be like, oh my God, I can feel off myself. And, these, and whereas like, intuitive types, they tend to um, go more into the abstract theories. Um, and then when we are looking at what you're going to have in the psychedelic experience, if you have a lot of trauma, you may spend most of the psychedelic experience just dealing with the pain and mm. trying to make sense of what happened to you and then connecting the dots, you know, and then trying to make an action plan for your life. So it's almost like Maslow's pyramid of needs where you have right. safety and shelter in the bottom. And then you have all of the other layers on the top with self-actualization, you know, being at the very highest. And so if you're still trying to deal with your safety and feelings and everything in the middle layers, you're going to be approaching psychedelics there. And so you need to deal with, you know, your need for recognition, social acceptance, etc. before I think you're going to be really considering the thoughts of the universe, because those are going to come right before um, for you in the pyramids. So what I have seen with people is that the more they approach psychedelics, the more they start getting, um, they start getting this expansion of consciousness. So mm. as people integrate, you basically need to understand where in the pyramid they are and provide them with support to make changes in their lives or deal with the problems at the level that they are because they are not going to be able to go to the top if like for example they are in an if they are in an abusive household mm -hmm. having to deal with you know like a drunken husband um they will be trying to solve that problem first after the psychedelic experience before they are like oh my god we are all connected, you know, planet Earth is evolving, <laughs> like, let me unleash my psychic abilities. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great, that would be a great infographic if you had Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and then you could put Karina's hierarchy of psychedelics, like right next to it, and have it like, that'd be kind of sweet. You know, isn't it, it's, it seems fascinating, but also incredibly sad to me, that sometimes people are faced with trauma in their childhood, and they continue to fight that trauma their entire life. I think that that is one of the beautiful things about psychedelics is that maybe it gives people either the courage to face that problem internally instead of putting a Band-Aid on it and coping with it. I'm curious, do you, do you think the purpose of trauma, let me put it this way. I think it's been my experience that the purpose of trauma is because there's something bigger than you that believes you should go through that trauma because you're strong enough to come out the other side and then help other people through it. What do you think the purpose of trauma might be? Yeah, I actually wrote an article about that, that we did a rebranding on the website and I haven't republished. Um, but I experienced a lot of trauma um, in my life. Like um, mm. I have been in coma before because of like, a, I have a sugar intolerance. So I was studied by John Hopkins as a kid and had a back surgery, like, um, 
Ian that I have like a metal bars on my back and I'll be on like stuff with a borderline narcissistic mom. Um, that was very, yeah, very, very bad. Um, so I, I know trauma very well. And for me, trauma indeed is um, a way for me to connect deeper with myself, understand things from a perspective and, that I would not otherwise have been able to access and to be able to help others that may not necessarily have the tools to deal with that. Um, so I'm grateful for the traumas that I have yeah. had, but it has been a long process of doing that. This being said, I do find that um, there is a lot of people in the victimization mindset mm. that, and I find that some of them actually display a characteristic similar to a cluster cluster B personality type, so borderline and narcissism. You have a type of narcissism that is called covert narcissism. Mm. Usually people use their vulnerabilities to try to manipulate you. And these are yeah. the ones that are very difficult to spot because they are not like a typical narcissist, but they are basically going to trauma bond you with you. And I find that some of these people need a trauma because it becomes an excuse for them to not try to achieve in life. Um, and then for them to also not need to work hard because then they are trying to, they are getting other people to feel sorry for them. And so, and then there is the other angle of the psychedelic industry, which I'm not a fan of, um, is that I find that so many people profit from you being stuck in a healing cycle. Mm. You know, like, yeah, yeah. totally. And if you think about it, some of the incentives are not there for them to, for a coach to stop coaching you, you know, for you to stop going to that shaman. Uh, so I find that a lot of times people rather than just be like, my life is good. Let me enjoy it. Let me be grateful. They're like, I have a problem to solve, you know, like, and then they start, they, they may not have that narcissist, that cluster B narcissistic tendency. Um, but they are allowing the need for them to constantly be in a work mode, prevent them from actually being happy and fulfilled and grateful in life. Because if you find problems, you will always have stuff to fix. But there is also room in life for you to just, you know, live life with joy and play rather than always needing to be doing work on yourself and take a little bit of that that load. I'm not saying for you not to be a nice person and to not have a gross mindset and not to listen to the universe when it's giving you lessons. But, you know, like, um, you don't need to be going to the jungle every, <laughs> like, every, I don't know, like, not the jungle is not a good example because there is a limitation on how often you can go there. But there are people that go to ayahuasca circles every other weekend. And I'm like, guys, like... Mm. So what what are you doing? Like maybe if you just enjoy life a little bit, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I heard a quote one time that makes me think of that scenario. And that that quote was we got good news and bad news. The good news is we have plenty of medicine. The bad news is the medicine doesn't work. And it makes me think of people that just decide to take the medicine regardless of of whatever it is, you know, whether it's a substance or whether it is an emotional relationship, they take it, but it never works because they don't, they don't really want it to. And that brings me to this other idea. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it seems that 
like whether it's the world of finance, maybe the world of psychedelics, but definitely the world of medicine. We're so busy focusing on sick people. And it seems we're so busy focusing on debt. Like, wouldn't the world be a little bit better if we focused on like brains that work really well instead of brains that don't work that well? And like, wouldn't the byproduct of studying highly effective brains and medicine and living a great life, wouldn't that effectively end up curing like a lot of the problems for sick people? Like if you study what works really well, then you'll be able to go and find out what doesn't work. But it seems like our models are wrong. It seems like we want to study the brain that has dementia. We want to study all these problems in the brain. But I think if you, I think we're looking at it the wrong way. Does that kind of make sense or is that just too out there? No, I, I hear you. And I think that the problem that we have in our society is um, that due to human evolution, we have a much greater incentive to actually prevent a loss than receive a gain. Mm. So there are psychological studies around this. Um, and then that translates to the entire incentive structure of um, VCs and is kind of like the idea of a startup, like a startup needs to be a painkiller rather than a, med a vitamin. <laughs> and so if you, I totally hear you. I just, I just find that it's a problem about how we have intrinsically been uh, our brains work with you know like a huge part of the brain the brain that impacts our behaviors is the amygdala the reptilian brain mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that's amazing with psychedelics that you for the first time are able to access the amygdala while you have the rational thoughts of your prefrontal cortex at the same time but most often people don't have that the amygdala is just there to try to protect you to like when you think about the biological factors of our body we have been built to prevent um, deaths, not to achieve happiness. Um, and so when you actually look at natural selection, there is a benefit for us to never be satisfied, um, mm. which, because if you're ever, if you are a person that is ever, always satisfied, you're not going to try to optimize yourself and then somebody else is going to evolve. So that dissatisfaction uh, with life is something that, is intrinsic to when you're creating a system where natural selection is the, the primary mode for evolution. Um, actually, like a couple of years ago, um, before my spiritual awakening, I was um, writing a lot about, I, I do have a book that I eventually want to write um, called Being Human and Looking into the, uh, the Four Ps. So, uh, psychology, philosophy, physics, and psychedelics, or yeah, physics, a lot of psychology and psychedelics, because that actually was the order of how I started approaching them. Um, and I do think that we do have some, while a lot of these ideas are great, I also see limitations on just the neurological structures mm -hmm. of the brain. And so I make an argument where you know, while it's really great when you tell people, like, let's save the planet, you know, like, please do your part. If that person, again, is in the Maslow's Pyramid of Need mm -hmm. right in the bottom, and them, like, they don't even have the headspace to not throw trash in a river, you know, like I, I went to Myanmar, and it was the locals that polluted most of the place. Yeah. Um, and so with all of these things, um, I do think that we need to consider limitations on the very fact that we are running these 
animalistic processors that and sometimes give even credit to people that are that are trying their best and sometimes i feel that part of being human and an evolved human is often actually overcoming our biology uh, you know our biological nature may say that we are here and then our mind makes us do something better and so back to the original question as to should we be looking at studying the a well a good brain versus a bad brain yes i think that we are doing um a bit of work on that but do i see this being something that is going to be done at a wider societal level no because people profit so much more from curing you know from painkillers and vitamins mm. it makes me sad i I'm sorry <laughs> 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 bring a nihilistic perspective. <laughs> it's pretty true. But but it doesn't mean that we can't begin the work in the foreground. It doesn't mean that we can't begin creating something now that could actually move us in that direction. So, and sometimes a spark yeah. is enough to start a forest fire, I think. You know, totally. on the and, yeah. Sorry. And by the way, like I do think that individuals can achieve that. I just yeah. don't necessarily I just think that like for example, at a large corporate structure, you know, it's like right. you can have an amazing individual psychedelic center that is doing phenomenal groundbreaking work into elevating human consciousness, but you're not going to expect the pharmaceutical companies to get behind that. So I think <laughs> you and I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that we, we and I can be almost like, you know, working on the indie side of the industry and then like, oh, it's going to be, yeah. So there, there are people doing this work though. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. It, you know, when we talk about when we talk about the world changing, it seems to me that you know, if the people that are paying attention, the rate of change is so fast. And when you look at corporate structures, corporate structures seem to me to be like the skin of a snake and we are the snake and we're shedding that. Like when you look at people that are doing startups, when you look at like ChatGPT or all this new technology coming out, it seems it's just like pushing away the middleman and allowing the individual to rise up and take the place of a corporation. You know, if you look at the way Rogan and Jamie can outperform Fox News and CNN, mm. if you look at the way Karina can start, you know, nosy or start something that can take the place of a giant corporation and, and you can build a startup and then sell it and then start something else. It just seems to me that is the path on which we're moving towards. And I, that's a setup for my question. And the question is, do you think there's a race between technology and biology when you look at like brain chips and people trying to fix the body in this way to get rid of our animalistic urges? That's one way of it. But then you look at natural psychedelics that seem to be evolving the brain in another way. It seems to me like there's this weird sort of race happening. I'm wondering if you see it as a race or do you see it as something that's working together? That's a very good question. Um, I think that. My answer before I had, you know, a bit of a the spiritual awakening last year would be, yeah, technology is important, you know, like it's going to uh, bridge the gap in our biology um, and allow us to have that access because I'm like, our biology can work, only work so much. Um, but then after that, and after I started um, realizing that I think that there is incentive in structures in our society to actually keep us from that amnesia of that veil of forgetting mm. of our connection to source. And then I had crazy spiritual experiences that were not, I wasn't on any psychedelics. I started like channeling um, 
entities and things like that. And part of that came to me um, when I have been just living a very clean diet. Um, and so I do think that we don't understand the functionality of the human body above the dimensions that we ex that our mind can cognitively think so but the more you start going to spirituality you realize you know there are we have different levels to your soul and to your energetic field and i do think that this is not like mainstream knowledge and i do think that some of that technology that you see in let's say 3d culture is in conflict with some of that other technology and it can distract you from harnessing the potential that you have into in your spiritual side so um you know i was one of the people that took the vaccine because i was in the uk i had to i was in corporate um but looking back um I would not have wanted to take the vaccine after I had my spiritual awakening. And so I know I can be super controversial here, but um, because I don't necessarily know how it's changing my genetic mm. structure. And at the time, because I had an experience, um, you know, like I would put psychedelics. Yeah. They open my consciousness, etc. but I'm like, this is, it's separate. And then I had an experience, the full, vision of like what my spirit is uh, even though I, I, I understood consciousness but I didn't understand the spirituality now that I understand the spirituality um, I, I'm a lot more cautious about technology mm. uh, using that sense because I do think that um, there is a movement to prevent awakening from large corporations mm. because I do think that um it's not in the incentive structure. And it's kind of like that same repression of consciousness that you saw with Nixon when he banned LSD. And it's one of the reasons why I actually made a, I just got on TikTok. I, I'm still trying to figure out the, the, the platform, but I made a video about how in the US I have uh, tried 10 different sources of LSD and everything is fake. And I do think that, um, that's worse than people not being able to access LSD. Because if a person doesn't know what they're actually looking for, they're going to have this research chemical that is just going to mm. give them visuals and not actually expand their mind. And then they're going to stop there. And so I, I never had that in any other country in the world, by the way. So I'm like, is that some type of... And I, I never thought about conspiracy theories before. <laughs> I'm like, is that some type of perverse way of preventing people from accessing something that can, within the night, change your entire worldview? Because I do find that the LSD is a lot faster than other substances for you to question society because you have that, you know, that time period yeah. and, you know, mushrooms because it's more emotional. It's going to focus more on your individual self and there is more work. But with LSD... If you don't have a lot of trauma and you're just questioning society, you take that and you're like, oh my God, everything is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a large part of that that's true. I it's interesting that you know, you see San Francisco go from like the mecca of LSD, the mecca of of consciousness shifting ideas to like 
Oh, Broy. Just a horrible. I don't want to say horrible, but I'm sure that it's just not the same as it oh. as it was probably. Yeah, um, I lived in San Francisco for high school. I didn't love it. Um, <laughs> I didn't love it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Why do you think that the quality is so much better in other countries? Um, I mean, in the UK, I think we would get probably from the Netherlands, and then right. the Netherlands just has incredible quality. Um, I what I have noticed with them, you know, let's say the black market here, um, is that I think that people are just trying to make a profit. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, um, and then I actually I have had people like I had this guy try to tell me, and I'm I'm just being cautious about the words that I use, being like. <laughs> Um, we only use the gel tabs because gel tabs are going to provide you a much better precision for the amount that you're going to have in it. And then I'm like, okay, I, I don't care between zero, like point, because the, the doses of like, let's say LSD is like 100, 100 to 150 or 200, you know, like, so it's in a hundred. So I, I don't care about the precision of like five, you know, like, and then, but then what I noticed is that this is a distraction. Um, is a tactic for people to actually distract um, mm. you from the fact that they're not even selling the real compound at, at all. So it, I, it's not that at, as a marketing tool to, that is almost like the magician trick. Oh, let me right. talk about this because I'm not actually even selling the real stuff here. <laughs> you know, like when I have gotten a LSD, real LSD, it's not on a gel tab. I never actually have seen real LSD on a gel tab. And the person is not going to be talking about the difference of like five, which is completely irrelevant on your trip. <laughs> or like what is R ketamine or S ketamine? Like in, in Europe, you just have ketamine and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to me. Karina, I'm having a great time talking to you. I, I know I'm getting close to my hour, but um, what, Tell me a little bit more about Satori before we end up closing it here. Like, what what do you think is the best thing that you've learned so far by starting this? I would need another hour for that. Um, <laughs> I think that from my side, I really understood the dynamics of the psychedelic industry. Mm. And in the beginning, I was very naive because I tend to like to see the good in every person. And so I actually got caught by a lot of like in the traps of a lot of spiritual narcissism mm. and so i think that what it really has taught me is how to be very discerning um and that's something that i wish i want to recommend for every person it's like because you're in a very vulnerable space when you're treating trauma healing uh when you're learning about things that seem beyond real you're going to really think that that person is going to be there to help you and have the best intentions but I see that there is a lot of, there is more ego in the psychedelic industry than I have seen in any other mm. industry, um, which is something that is not making me love it uh, and wants to be very protective of who do I work with. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's the cosmic joke, right? Like you think you're getting away from all of that stuff and then there it is right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the most 
the most ego I have seen of any industry is in the psychedelics industry. So I do, do want people to be cautious of who they trust. Right. It's so amazing. What are you, are you planning on? It seems like that you move quite around a bit. So is Satori based out of the UK or is it is it just is it something that anybody in the world can get a hold of and then and yeah, move it, through? We we do everything online. Um and I'm actually I moved to LA, so I'm in Venice right now, uh, because of, yeah, the market is just so much more well developed mm. in the US. Um, and then we also work with clients uh, one to one, um, in depending on their needs. And so, yeah, the best way to go about it is just go to the website, book a call, and then like me or my team is going to learn more about you and then we started going from there so it's just about making that of the information i shared today actually relevant for that person and so that's like the that's the best place if someone wanted to find you the best place for them to do that would be go to, to go to the website yeah exactly and then if people want to follow me i post on instagram um i or linkedin uh so it's interdimensional highness on both <laughs> That's awesome. What can you send me the information or the article that you spoke about where the prefrontal cortex is talking to the amygdala? I think it's fascinating and I would love to learn more about that. Yeah, of course. Okay. Is before I let you go, um, do you have any like other events coming up? And we've already spoken, people can find you. So what events do you have coming up and what are you excited yeah, about? I do. Um so I, I need to jump because I'm already yeah, I know. but uh I am actually speaking at uh, the mind, the sound mind movement um, summit next week, next weekend. Um, so it's this one. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So if you guys, ah, I'm not good at this. If you guys, no, it's good. Start, we can see. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, it's amazing. It's to raise of the procedure going to go for. Brain research, uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we can go in a loophole about that, but uh, it's gonna be an amazing DJ and really interesting talks about mental health. Okay, Karina, thank you so much for your time. I know you gotta go. I hope you have a fantastic day, and I'm really thankful that you spent a little bit of time with us and my audience today. I think I learned a lot, and I hope everybody else did. Reach out to her. All the links will be in the show notes. Karina, I'll let you get out of here. Have an awesome day. Bye. Okay. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, 
a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.